You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Thanks for being here, everyone. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? Thank you, worship team, for, uh, for leading us. Uh, thanks to the tech team for getting us uh, online this morning. Or actually, I don't know if we're online. I don't think we're live streaming this service, are we? We are live streaming. So I have to be careful what I say, Paul, because uh, it's on the interweb now. Uh, and so it's beamed across the world. So, okay, I'll behave myself. Well, hey, let me just say uh, to Eagle Bay Camp, thanks for being here. Uh, uh, Chet and, uh, and, and Rick, they've left already. Like, was it something I said? They were sitting right there, weren't they? Yeah. Well, thanks for, for, for being here. They're setting out, up out in the foyer because they want to chat with you. I was going to make a joke about me coming to be the cook and that they needed an extra insurance policy for that. Uh, but... Uh, Oh, there you go. My humor is wasted. Uh, and so, hey, bless you. Oh, Chet's there. He's right there. Good. Okay, good. Hey, bless you, Chet. Thanks for being here. Chet, you drove like, what, two and a half hours to be here this morning with your bait? Okay, just, well, you, you drive really fast. Uh, and so, hey, bless you. Make sure you chat with Chet, especially uh, if you're a parent of a youth. Uh, make sure you chat with Chet uh, and, and with Rick. Uh, we're thankful they're here. We've been working, working through the book of Jonah because... In the book of Jonah, we want to understand God's redemptive mission in the world and how we can join it. And one of the reasons that I really like the book of Jonah is is because Jonah's story reads a lot like mine. It reads a lot like yours because Jonah was a reluctant missionary. He was a flawed person of faith, yet God used him nonetheless. And I really find that hopeful. I find it deeply hopeful. As I've said in the previous weeks, when it comes to joining God's redemptive mission in the world, you don't have big shoes to fill. You simply need to put on your own and walk with God. And last week, we looked at Jonah chapter 3. And in Jonah 3, I highlighted three things that are at the heart of God's redemptive mission in the world. I wonder if you'll remember what those three things are. I thought about having a quiz this morning. Do you remember the three points from last week? The three things uh, that, that encapsulate God's redemptive mission? Through Jesus, God is on mission to overcome sin, to transform hearts, and to redeem the broken systems in God's good world. In the text last week, Jonah chapter 3, Jonah went to this wicked city of Nineveh and preached a five-word message from God. And the people, they, they responded in droves. From the greatest to the least, the entire city of Nineveh, they, they, they went on bended knee and turned their heart to God. And this is where we pick up the story as we turn the page to Jonah chapter 4. Today I'm going to read verses 1 to 5, a real short passage. Jonah 1 to 5, it's on page 646 in the Pew Bible. You can open your device to Jonah 4. Hear the word of the Lord. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when when I was still at home? 
This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, oh Jesus, we come into your presence, or we we become aware of your presence as we sit under your word. And and, and Lord, I I know you have a word for for us this morning. I just don't presume to know what it is. (laughs) And so... With these words of mine, I pray that where your eternal word is ringing true, it would land in our hearts, and it would invite us to be transformed and be the church in every sense of the word. And so, Jesus, come and do what only you can do through your Holy Spirit with your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in the previous chapter, in Jonah chapter 3, The prophet has just finished preaching the most effective sermon that the world has ever seen, right? Uh, An entire city, the entire city of Nineveh, they hear the word of God, they fall on their knees in repentance. It's amazing. It's a striking scene. So you would expect then that as we turn the page to chapter 4, we would read something like this. It would say, and Jonah went on his way worshiping God for all he had done, right? Right? That's not what happens, is it? It's not how the story goes. After Nineveh turns to God and turns from their violent way, God shows them mercy, and then Jonah says it. says this, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. This morning, I, I, I want to draw your attention to what I think is happening in Jonah in that moment because it demonstrates something that we all face. Namely, it it demonstrates the barriers that we all face when it comes to joining God's redemptive mission in the world. I want to help you see what is going on with Jonah because when we see it, we begin to see these barriers that stand in the way of of reaching people with the message, with the glory and story of Jesus. When we understand what's going on with Jonah, we see these barriers that we all face when it comes to joining God's mission in the world. That's essentially where I'm going this morning. And at the start of Jonah chapter 4, we see these barriers that that are barriers to our Christian calling to share the glory and story of Jesus with other people. And so, in order to help you see these barriers in yourself, these barriers that I see in myself, I want to highlight three things about Jonah. I'm going to be paying attention to these three things this morning. First, what was Jonah feeling? And I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about what Jonah was feeling. So first, what was Jonah feeling? Second, where was he sitting? And third, what was he doing? It's the outline of my sermon. 
Because in these three things, we see barriers that we face in joining God's redemptive mission. This is the outline. What was Jonah feeling? Where was he sitting? What was he doing? And I'll spend a lot of time on the first. So first, what was Jonah feeling? Verse 1 says it plainly, right? Jonah was angry. Why was he angry? He was angry because God showed the wicked people of Nineveh mercy when what they really deserved was judgment. Jonah wanted justice, but God gave mercy. And now, remember, Nineveh was a cruel and wicked empire on all fronts. And so Jonah's anger arises because God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's what verse 2 says. In fact, it's, it's how God reveals himself to Moses with this language. It's why Jonah is angry. And now, you need to hear this this morning, that anger is not the enemy, right? Getting angry isn't sinful. And we saw last week that that God actually got angry. He, He was angry, and his anger flowed from his compassion. God was angry at injustice, and he gets angry when his beloved creation is harmed or exploited. And so there are times in life when when anger is the most appropriate response. Anger isn't the problem. But the challenge is that most of us, we get angry at the wrong things. We get angry at a personal insult. Or we get angry if we don't get our own way. Or if we have some great inconvenience in our life, we get angry. And there's a difference between an injustice and the barista who gets your order wrong at the drive-thru, right? (laughs) We get angry at the wrong things. And then we deal with our anger in sinful ways by lashing out at those who have angered us, and we only fill the earth with more and more harm. And the point is, anger isn't the problem. The problem is that we tend to get angry over the wrong things. And what I want us to notice in Jonah's story is what he's angry about. He's angry at God's mercy. His anger is directed at at God's compassion. That's why he's angry. But there's something else going on in Jonah's anger that we need to see. He isn't simply angry that God has shown mercy. He's angry because of who God has shown mercy toward. He's angry because God has been merciful to those people. These pagan Ninevites, the violent group of people who posed a threat to Jonah and to his own people, the Israelites. And we hear this in Jonah's prayer a little bit in in verse 2. When Jonah, it says this, it says, Jonah prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. You see, on the forefront of Jonah's mind was his home, his nation, his people. That's at the forefront of every prophet's mind when they do their work because prophets speak on behalf of a people. They speak for a nation. They're representatives of God's people. But here was Jonah standing before an out-and-out threat to himself and his people. It's a nation full of enemies. 
And God uses him as a vessel of mercy. Not justice, mercy. And it makes him angry. Of course it makes him angry. We'd be angry too. And here's the point that I'm getting to. In Jonah's anger, we begin to see one of the barriers that we face when it comes to being effective participants in God's redemptive mission. Because in Jonah's anger, we see Jonah's prejudice. Jonah's anger revealed his prejudice toward those people. And I believe we see two prejudices at play in Jonah's story. First, Jonah shows a a religious prejudice, a moral prejudice. The text doesn't say it directly, but, but it's easy enough to imagine. Think about this. The Ninevites were a superpower in Jonah's day. They were powerful. And Jonah and the Israelites, they weren't. They, they, they were weak. In other words, Nineveh was physically superior. They had a superior army, a superior a number, a, a superior geopolitical position. Nineveh had power over Jonah and his people. But mark this, for Jonah and his people, the covenant people of God, Though they were physically superior, though they weren't physically superior, they prided themselves on being spiritually superior, right? Morally superior. They were the dirty Ninevites, while Jonah was one of the holy people of God. Jonah didn't have physical resources on his side, he had God on his side, he had the law. He was God's special possession. In Jonah's spirit, he would have seen himself as one of the good ones, while a Ninevite was one of the bad bad ones. It was a religious spirit. And it's a spirit we all wrestle with. And so this is why Jonah gets angry when when Nineveh repents and and they turn toward God. He he gets angry because when they repent and turn toward God, what happens? (laughs) What happens? Well, Jonah loses his trump card. He loses his position of moral superiority. And it makes him angry. I mean, whose side are you really on, God? The faithful or the unfaithful? This religious, this this moral prejudice is, is something that many of us live with. It's the idea that other people are less worthy of God's love and less worthy of his grace because they don't live up to the religious standards that we have set for them. Moral prejudice is is living with a religious spirit, and it blocks God's mission in the world. We see this religious spirit in the older brother of the parable in Luke chapter 15. You, You know the parable of the prodigal sons. You remember this one? The younger brother lived this sinful life. He disowned his father, essentially said, I I, I wish you were dead, and I want my inheritance, and I'm leaving. And and so the younger brother lives this sinful life, disowns his father, while all along the older brother is obedient. He does whatever the father asks him. 
And then one day, the younger son uh, comes to his senses, and he returns home to the father with his hat in his hand, his, his head hung low. And the father sees him from a distance, runs out, hugs his child, puts a cloak on his shoulders, and a robe on his, on his, on his shoulders, and, and slippers on his feet, a ring on his finger, and he throws a party for the son he had who he thought was dead but now is alive. And when the party is struck, the older brother explodes with anger. I've done all you've ever wanted me to do. You've never given me anything. I've been so good to you. I deserve the party, not this good-for-nothing brother. It's a religious prejudice. It's thinking that if you do things for God or know him more intimately, that you're more entitled to his love than others who don't do things for God or don't know him. And we treat people accordingly, like they are less entitled to God's mercy, God's love, God's grace. It's a religious prejudice. But there's a second prejudice at play here, of course. Not just a religious one. There is an ethnic one. A racial prejudice. This is the prejudice Jonah has as an Israelite toward a Ninevite who is from Assyria. Now, as I noted before, Jonah isn't so much angry that God showed mercy. He's angry that God showed mercy to those people, to those Ninevites. Jonah's prejudice wasn't simply about morality. It was about ethnicity. And church, here's the thing. These moral And racial prejudices, they're two of the great barriers the church faces when it comes to participating in God's mission in the world. I mean, how can we carry the message of God's love for another person when somewhere inside we are devaluing and dehumanizing the people we're sent to, the people we're called to love? I was at line in a store last week, and I was waiting for my turn at, at, at the checkout. And so in the time of waiting, I was, I was doing what maybe some of you do. I was analyzing the group of people in front of me. You ever do this? You know, you're kind of paying attention. You're listening to their conversation. <laughs> and so I'm standing in the line, and I was taking notice of this group of people in front of me, their clothing and, and their hair and their piercings and the way they talked with one another. And it was like a reflex. I had all these stereotypes come into my mind. And I started making judgments about about their lives, about the things they did, about how different they were from me. And I remember feeling, actually, in that moment, this sense of disconnection from these people. Like there was this wall that I I was putting up, this this barrier between the two of us, between me and them. (laughs) And then in an instant, it was like the Holy Spirit kicked me in the chest. And it kind of felt like a violent whisper. Keith, how can you be my person in Kelowna if you don't love the people here?
when I heard the voice of the Spirit, it was like a wrecking ball that tore that wall down. And I was filled with both the shame and compassion. You see, prejudices, whether they're moral or ethnic, whether they're religious or racial, they're walls of division that Jesus came to tear down. They stand in the way of God's mission moving forward through us. You see, this is how the Apostle Paul describes the gospel in Ephesians chapter 2. This is how he describes the gospel, church. Don't miss this. He says, Jesus came to tear down the dividing walls of hostility and through Christ to create one new humanity out of the two, reconciling us to God and to one another. It's the gospel. In other words, God is not simply in the business of saving souls. He's in the business of of creating a new family. He's knitting together people who were formerly at odds with one another through the power of his cross in Jesus' name. You see, reconciliation is central to the gospel. It's what Jesus has come to do, not simply to reconcile us to God, but through God to reconcile us to one another. Which means, whenever we hold on to prejudices, or when we deny that they are present, or when we promote them, we're in fact building a wall that Jesus came to tear down. We're acting against the gospel. We're Jonah. Nineveh. And church, there have been a few times that I've spoken about or or written about racial reconciliation. Various times I've, I've tried to explain how the gospel calls us to walk the path of reconciliation with various people. In particular, on on a few occasions, we've addressed things like walking the path of reconciliation with the indigenous peoples of Canada. And there have been other times where where I've spoken on or, or, or written about racial issues just directly. But here's what I want you to hear. There's been a response that has come after some of these messages and, and these things that I posted online, and, and, and it grieves my heart a little. But it's an honest response. It's in hearing these things I've had the feedback of, and feedback that sounds a little bit like this. Well, we've said that we're sorry. Can't we just move on? Or, well, people are just too sensitive these days. Or, I'm not a racist, so really, is there a problem here? And the response tells me that there are these ethnic and racial prejudices among us in the church, and you know what? We're probably not even aware of them. Maybe we are. In church, it's a barrier to our mission in the world. I am convinced that we are living in a cultural moment where churches like ours have this great opportunity to walk out the gospel in a real tangible way with, with groups like the, some of the indigenous peoples of Canada, the first nations that, 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 that we stand on this ground with. 
And if we resist this call to reconciliation, we're resisting the gospel. One of the, uh, the, the, the laments or, or one of the, uh, the, the charges against the church often is that, that, that we, we come to a building and we worship, but we're, we're not much help to people in church. There are nations of people on this land that are saying, we want help. We want you to listen to us. We want you to understand. We live in a cultural moment where we have an opportunity to do both justice and mercy. But it requires dealing with our prejudices and committing ourselves to reconciliation. Pastor and author, Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil, she has a helpful definition of what the Bible means when it speaks about reconciliation. And this is a very long sentence, but I'm going to speak it. It's worth digesting every word. She says this, Reconciliation is an ongoing spiritual process involving forgiveness, repentance, and justice that restores broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. Oh, every word is worth chewing on. Church, Reconciliation is God's mission in the world. Christ has come to reconcile us to God the Father and through him to reconcile us to one another. Reconciliation is God's mission in the world and if we're going to join him in it, then we need to be honest about our prejudices and let Jesus tear them down. That's the first thing. I told you I'd speak a lot about the first thing, right? First, what was Jonah feeling? Jonah was angry, and in his anger we see his prejudices, and those prejudices are a barrier to joining God's mission. The next thing I want you to see in the text is where is Jonah sitting? Because his location represents a second barrier to joining God's mission in the world. Look at the first part of verse 5. We're told, Jonah had gone out, and sat down at a place east of the city. Notice where Jonah is. He's outside the city. He's just preached the sermon, and then after preaching, he kind of pieces out. They don't see him again. He's detached. He's withdrawn. He's he's unavailable to the people of Nineveh. How can we join God's mission if we're unavailable. It's quite the contrast to how Jesus, the Son of God, carries out the mission of his Father, isn't it, right? Because we're told Jesus, who was God, took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. He moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson puts it. But where Jesus moved in, Jonah moved out. He's unavailable. And it's a barrier to God's mission moving forward. Church, we can't help people come to know Christ if we've withdrawn from their lives. If we're cloistered away with one another. If we're sitting outside the city, so to speak. And so the question that I have for you is, what would it look like for you to move into the neighborhood of those in your life presently who don't yet know Jesus? 
Maybe it's the unpopular kid at school. Or someone who, you know, has a need in our city. Or, or maybe it's a neighbor. What would moving toward instead of moving away look like? Or perhaps there's some people that you know in your life that are part of the LGBTQ community. What does moving toward with the love of Jesus look like instead of withdrawing away? Jonah was outside the city when he would have been more useful inside of it. It's the barrier of being available. Jesus calls us to be salt and light. And in order for for salt to do its work, its preserving work, it needs to be up close with the meat that it preserves. Because this was, you know, salt didn't flavor food in the past. It was a preservative. Salt had to come into contact with the very thing it wanted to to preserve, to save, to reach. In order for the salt to work, it couldn't be outside the city. Not useful. It's the barrier of being available. It's where Jonah was. Which brings me to the last thing. I want you, the last thing that I want you to see in, in Jonah, it's, it's what is he doing? What is he doing at the beginning of, of, of chapter 4? Look at verse 5 again. It says, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Jonah is simply watching what will happen next. And now, commentators on the book of Jonah, they're really quick to point out that that even though Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, turn their hearts toward God, there's no indication that they enter into a lasting relationship with God at all. And so why do the commentators make that comment? Well, it's because nowhere in the text do we see the Ninevites calling God by his personal name, Yahweh. The name he revealed himself to the people of God on. It's his personal name. Nowhere do we see them using this personal name. The Ninevites never enter into a personal relationship with God. They never come into a relationship with God like the one Jonah has. They simply turn to an unknown God out of fear. They never come to know God for who he really is. Why not? Well, it's because Jonah doesn't stick around long enough to tell them about this God. He's sitting outside the city. He's watching to see what happens next. Rather than being inside it, helping people to understand the mercy that they've just received. What a missed opportunity. Jonah is not committed to these people for the long haul. And it's the barrier we face of making a long-term commitment to others. Church, the mission of God isn't some track we hand out and then walk away. Rather, joining the mission of God is this lifelong commitment to walk the long journey of faith with other people. To help them understand who God is. Not simply in a moment, but, but over a long season of time. And Jonah was faced with this barrier, the barrier of making a long-term commitment to people on the road to faith in God. 
And so are we. And so here's what I want us to see in Jonah in chapter 4. Three barriers to joining God's mission. The barrier of prejudice. The barrier of actually being available. And the barrier of committing long-term to other people who aren't like you. So church, which of these three barriers do you see in your own life? And what do you need from Jesus in order to tear down the walls so that he might use you for his glory and his story in our city once again? Let's pray. Jesus, like I said at the beginning, I I know you have a word for, for us. But I just don't presume to know what that is for every individual here. And so, Jesus, we want to sit under your authority. We want to sit under both the the weight and, and, and the grace of your gospel. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would you would speak to our hearts afresh. Impress upon us what it is this morning you want us to hear from you. Jesus, you are good, and your love endures forever. And so as we turn our hearts to you, Lord Jesus, we confess that there have been times where we have held prejudice, and it's caused harm in your world. And we confess, Jesus, that there have been times where we have withdrawn from people you've asked us to love. And Jesus, we also confess that there have been times where we have been unwilling to commit, to walk the long journey. And Lord, as we bring a confession, we we actually say, Jesus, that that we actually want our, our lives to count. We want our lives to matter for your glory. And so we are once again, as we sang this morning, we need you, Jesus We need your spirit to come and breathe in us again (laughs) because we get to carry this beautiful story of salvation and hope. And so, Lord Jesus, tear down the walls. We're your people. We pray that as we respond in song, that your name would be lifted high. And once again, we take our place as your children, full of grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.